Welcome back to Inside Weekly Trends. This is episode 11 of the podcast. I'm Brian Warmoth, your co-host here with Stephanie Zielinski sitting in for Landon. Once again, we're going to talk about some news highlights and we're going to go deep into some of the things that happened at our big event over the last two days, Meet Our Fund 3. Uh, it was a great installment and we'll tell you some more about what we learned from the VCs who showed up there. Um, Stephanie, welcome back to the chair. Thanks for filling in again this week. Uh, had a good time in episode 10. Uh, and you're actually the perfect person to have on here, um, having participated in Meet Our Fund with all of our uh, guests over the last two days. So it's a very dynamic event. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had a lot of great speakers, learned a lot of things. I think it was a great story. But even if you're a VC who's looking to get started, I think there were a lot of lessons to be learned from the experiences that were shared about people who really did the work from the ground up to get get going in this space, uh, in addition to being a really great event for people who are startup founders looking to raise funding right now, which is yeah. what we're what we're trying to provide with that. So um, great event. Uh, before we get into it, I know the biggest news this week is just awful that I want to touch on because we can't talk about the news highlight highlights this week without discussing the awful human tragedy that unfolded in Texas, uh, in Uvalde, Texas, uh, at Rob Elementary School this week. And you know, I, I'm a parent. I Right now, we've seen you know, 19 young students, I believe, was the last count I saw on there, uh, 21 people total, including teachers um, who have died. Uh, you know, it's tough. I, all I got to say, I'm, I'm almost out of things that don't, I, I, who isn't out of things that sound cliche at this point, but, you know, you just got to do better. I don't know what it is. Compromise on something, people. We got to do something for these kids because it's every one of these is just like soul achingly awful to watch students go through. If you read the stories about what the children are going to deal with for the rest of their lives, the, what the parents are going to deal with without these kids mm -hmm. around. I, as a parent, it's just an almost impossible thing to, to comprehend. Um, but very, very real for far too many people right now. So I uh, just wanted to say that and heart goes out to everybody in Texas dealing with this um, right now. And, you know, everybody who's been through these things before watching this happen. So just wanted to say that before we get into the news today. Uh, that said, and there's no great transition to go into business and tech news after this. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let's go through some of the highlights this week. I, you know, this was really rough. I, Stephanie, are you, have you have you used Snap? Have you been on Snap? Is what, what's, I have. Your, what's your feeling on the state of Snap? I mean, they they did they had a really wonderful uh, period of growth over the pandemic. They were one of the real like breakaway um, public company stories uh, during that period of time. However, this week they made an announcement. They Their stock fell 40% on Tuesday after they filed a warning saying that they were not going to meet their expected earnings results coming in. I mean, and I think a lot of people are seeing this as a bellwether of further pain ahead in the market. It, I think the easy story here to tell is that it's a result of inflation and expectations that rising prices and the potential of a recession are going to create a lot fewer opportunities for sales of things and consequently advertising of things, which is what Snap right. depends on. So uh, people are reevaluating that and it was a catalyst for a broad sell-off with Meta, Alphabet, Twitter, all closing down 7.6%, about 5%, 5.5% when this news broke. So uh, that's all I got to say right now. Uh, Stephanie, do you think the, the future uh, will, will get better for Snap anytime soon? Uh, what, what was your reaction to watching this happen? 
if they want to pivot, they've got some amazing AR technology that they could maybe use in other ways, even in entertainment, which I feel is like akin to the social media uh, business model that they currently have. But they rely so heavily on advertising and that business model is just not panning out well right now when all of the consumer product brands that are advertising on Snap are just like, let's cut some costs. Mm -hmm. This is the tough thing about being a media business in general that's ad driven because you are so susceptible to fluctuations like right. this. Uh, you know, I've seen this you going back into my work in the magazine industry. It's same same thing, right? You when when consumer sales of a certain sector you depend on for advertising go down, uh, mm -hmm. you know that's you have to be resilient and find ways to weather weather things out. Whether that's through slowing hiring, uh, so we've seen layoffs happening at multiple companies recently. Uh, we'll see how Snap gets through this. They they do have a gr a pretty resilient track record. I think they've been through dips in the past, and I think there's a lot of reason to think that you know they will make good decisions going forward. Evan Spiegel's got a good track record, so. Um, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. And I, I think you're going to see a lot of reactions to uh, reports like this in earnings coming up. You've seen this already in earnings season with the market reacting to individual companies' results and wondering, you know, for instance, you know, Netflix's results, uh, it, Snap took a hit mm -hmm. when that happened, even because right. people are looking at uh, reduced audience opportunity for streaming video, uh, perhaps, or at least slowed growth at the very least. So th this is one area to, to watch and, and see what happens there. And you know, we'll understand, I think, in the coming months how, how relevant their story will be to other companies who may see similar results. So there's that. Um, tell me about the news you were watching this week. What, what stuck out to you? Well, kind of in the social media vein of things, uh, DC Attorney General sued Mark Zuckerberg over the Cambridge Analytica scandal, and he took a different slant this time. Mm -hmm. So Carl Racine alleges that Zuckerberg was closely involved in envisioning and carrying out the framework framework on Facebook that allowed Cambridge Analytica to collect user data without consent. Mm -hmm. And the lawsuit is for the purpose of like sending a message to CEOs that you have to be held accountable. And this lawsuit comes after a judge rejected this same guy Racine's attempt to add Zuckerberg as a defendant in his original consumer protection complaint against Meta over the Cambridge Analytical Analytica scandal. So the real story is he the real story here is that it's Zuckerberg himself that's being sued. Um, yeah, different angle that Racine is taking to try and hold CEOs feet to the fire, which is a huge conversation in social media. Mm -hmm. How accountable should these platforms be for what happens on the platform? Mm -hmm. And Carl, Carl Racine is an extremely adept political player in his office in D.C. As somebody who lived there for a number of years, mm -hmm. uh, it's he's still sitting there. I've been in, on the West Coast now for uh, about six years uh, and been mm -hmm. watching this, these stories continue. But you got to understand D.C., right? It's it's such a unique place because you know it's a it's like a it's it's like a city state in some ways but also sure. lacks a lot of you know the self-governance and attributes that states have so when you look at the political players they have the benefit of a very visible stage on which to work because they're right next to right. federal uh politician federal level politicians and DC is always in the news and it's a center of news organizations and coverage day to day. So uh, they have an outsized you know, visibility for what they do and they use that. And 
right now, yeah. you know, it's it's a stage for playing out these for these questions playing out, and you know, we'll see what he's able to do. It, it is interesting. He's taking a personal approach to this uh, with Zuckerberg, and I think a lot of CEOs at tech companies will want to see what happens here uh, to to see what results. Yeah, he wants to send a message. Like he said, he has a huge stage to do it. So mm-hmm. Zuckerberg's yeah. <laughs> he's having a hard time. I actually enjoy when people have a opinion of Zuckerberg that's different to the popular opinion, which is just mm-hmm. like bad, evil. I mean, I've heard some people recently in the inside circle talk about, um, you know, is he such a bad guy? And I kind of love like thinking from a different perspective because I feel like there's such a strong story that he's a villain. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see how this pans out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of CEOs, let's go to a story that uh, was actually the most popular news story on Inside this week that I saw. And this was something uh, that Karan wrote up in, uh, I believe it was in Inside VC uh, this week. So uh, WeWork's Adam Newman is back, back, and not just as a character on a streaming platform's uh, <laughs> vision of what his his life in the WeWork story was like, right? He has a new company. Uh, well, he has, he has a company that announced that they've secured 70 million in venture funding uh, from a token, and that's coming from a token sale in a $32 million Series A uh, equity financing round that Anderson Horowitz led. Uh, Anderson Horowitz also in the news this week because they announced the their biggest yet crypto fund uh, coming mm-hmm. out. So tangent there. But uh, so Newman's getting into this space. And there's obviously for somebody like him who likes telling cause-driven stories, this is a story about uh, a carbon marketplace um, that's going to operate using a carbon-backed token called the Goddess Nature Token. I would love on the to blockchain. What, I would love to have known what the meeting was like where the, those titles were gone over for this when they Goddess figured out what Nature. they wanted to call it. It's such a... Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, this is the kind of thing, right? I see this and I'm like, this it's great cause. We'll see how this works. Uh, Gotta be snappy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, Karan wrote this up. Uh, you know, Flow Carbon has already partnered with Layer 1 blockchain Cello uh, to offer $10 million worth of this t- goddess nature token, GNT. Uh, other funding round participants here included General Catalyst, Samsung Next, Invesco Private Capital, uh, 166 Second, RSE Ventures, Fifth Wall, Box Group, and Allegory Labs all on the list. Uh, notable here is uh, Adam Newman's, Adam Newman was, of course, the founder of WeWork. Uh, he co-founded Flow Carbon along with Dana Gibber, Carolyn Klatt, and someone everybody, everybody will recognize from the WeWork story, Rebecca Newman, uh, his wife there, uh, and uh, Elon Stern also. Um, so a lot of players here. Uh, what do you think about the potential for this approach uh, for for using a token to to be a you know carbon solution? I mean, obviously, all of the funding means that these investors find mm-hmm. the blockchain to be the appropriate technology to operate mm-hmm. this carbon marketplace on. I think yeah. it's a fine application of blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone that's unfamiliar with the carbon market, it's turning emissions reductions and removals into tradable assets. And I think that that is an essential piece of the sustainability puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited because very shortly, we're going to um, play a clip from Meet Our Fund uh, from this guy that uh, runs a sustainability fund, and he has mm-hmm. been in that world for 20 years and is such an expert. So we mm-hmm. can learn more about it. But um, yeah, I think that uh, 
everyone's looking for that tech unicorn, that tech piece of the sustainability yeah. puzzle. Mm -hmm. This could be it. I, I think there's so many other hugely important pieces of the puzzle, mm -hmm. um, but but VC just focuses on uh, the blockchain because it's scalable and can offer huge returns. Yeah, obviously so, Anderson Horowitz yeah. is re-upping there. And that's, to me, right. that was one of the big takeaways of the week. I mean, reading this news, but also seeing the Anderson Horowitz news that in the middle of crypto winter, there's a doubling down happening to some extent on blockchain related uh, startups and technologies, which I, we'll get into this later with uh, one of the comments that one of the guests had at Meet Our Fund, which was uh, that she was taking a realist perspective right to what's happening on blockchain with, technology yeah, yeah yeah exactly and to me that's the real test right now we're seeing which companies are sinking and which companies might not have been financially well thought out in terms of you know, how they're mm -hmm. leveraging crypto and blockchain tech uh, this is a case of a test for a real world application for right. for this uh, you know uh, yeah something to watch and and for it to scale massively, maybe it has to be the carbon marketplace yeah, that, that that's our a, that's world uses. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, well, let's transition from the Adam Newman news into a speaker we had who actually used to work at WeWork. Right. You can introduce, maybe you'd like to start off, Stephanie, uh, by sure. introducing uh, some of the speakers we had at Meet Our Fund this week and what we learned from them. Yes. So if you didn't get to attend Meet Our Fund live, um, you will be seeing replays on our YouTube channel on inside.com. We had so many top tier venture capital firms and funds. Uh, speaking about what they specifically do. Ziza Cole is a principal at Bain Capital Ventures, and she, in this clip, explains uh, the time in her life when she worked at WeWork, helping them start the Creator Fund. So we can go ahead and roll that clip. I know. I feel like it's uh, it's top of mind, and, and Adam and Rebecca just raised a bunch of money for their latest company as well. So it's increasingly uh, a popular name again. You know, it was an a, a crazy time. Um, I joined <laughs> at the the as WeWork was rising and uh, left after the IPO was was pulled, but it was fantastic. I mean, the core of what WeWork offered, I still fully believe in, which is that yeah. these community-driven opportunities to work together. I think we all felt it during the pandemic. You were working from home. You lacked that sense of community. You lacked that sense of collaboration. And it's really hard to explain unless you've been in a WeWork, but walking into one of those offices, you just feel an energy unlike anything I've ever felt before. I started my career in investment banking and um, the juxtaposition of the way that office looked and felt and the way we worked versus how we work was. The second I walked into one, I was like, I, I think I want to go work here. I think I want to be a part of whatever this growth story is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And then building the fund was a tremendous experience as well. I mean, I'm a very people driven person and the, the people I got to work with were really fantastic. You know, we were all looking for ways to help our member base continue to grow, to continue to support them, be it with tools that might enable them to have a better building or tools that enable them to, you know, be able to think about hiring talent more, um, more efficiently. So it translates to a lot of what I spend time on here, which I feel quite lucky to have that. So you can hear the enthusiasm in Ziza's voice. She's talking about the energy of the spaces. Um, and she believes in the mission of WeWork. And it's just really interesting to have that first person perspective from someone that actually worked with uh, Adam and Rebecca and helped mm -hmm. start a little venture arm of WeWork. Right. It's, it's tough. It, it seems like not so long ago and 
simultaneously forever ago since we work was yeah. on its you know big upswing and of course they you know they for anybody who doesn't know, WeWork was about to IPO. They did not successfully IPO originally. They took a significantly reduced valuation. Eventually, IPO'd as a SPAC, uh, via SPAC later on. And now, now they they finally reached that that point of uh, the, reaching the public market. And they're not valued as high. They're more. I think a lot of people would agree it's probably a more realistic valuation for you know a real estate company doing what they do. But they're they're on their feet and moving once again. But getting back to what she said, the big thing that always drove WeWork for years was this community that they tried to build. And if you lived in a metro area where WeWorks were a center of uh, you know, socialization and meetups taking place, you know, they eventually bought, bought meetup, meetup spun off again. Uh, this was a place people used to go. I, you know, as a journalist, the, I, I visited a lot of WeWorks in Washington, D.C., where mm -hmm. events were taking place pretty frequently. It was a hub for meeting the latest startup founders who are getting together. And it was a good place for networking for a lot of those founders who are looking to learn from each other and you know build the professional networks for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. So wishing Adam and Rebecca success in their newest venture of uh, the blockchain carbon we'll market. <laughs> we'll see, <how> <laughs> we'll see so what happens. Yeah. Uh, let's move on down. Uh, the next guest we have on the list to talk about here, uh, Marshall Sandman, who opened up the event. Uh, on two on Tuesday for us, uh, so Marshall uh, works with an, uh, Animal Capital based in Los Angeles, and he uh, had some thoughts about uh, his strategy there. Uh, and you know, we can talk a little bit more after the clip about their Gen Z focus that they have and what they do. Uh, let's play that clip. We went on CNBC and CNN and MSNBC and did all these things. And by the time we went through the, the, those. Uh... TV interviews, my phone was actually just blowing off the side of the wall and people wanted to invest in what we were doing. So we planned on raising a micro fund and raising $5 million. We raised $17 million and now we're to the, the, the fund. So it's a consumer, consumer tech fund. I always say you know, to, on every call and every presentation, if it's not making people's lives better or more fun, we're likely not, not investing in it. The core tenant of the fund is to be the most um, value add strategic capital behind the lead check. So in a lead round, if the lead check is $100,000, we're a $500,000 check. We, you know, for our LPs, we're an amazing index, as you can see in front of you, of the top venture funds. So um, well, I have it right in front of me, but Lightspeed, Kotu, Graycroft, SoftBank, Lux, Craft, um, obviously Sound, and a number of celebrities. And the goal really is, is we get on the phone with founders. We're able to, to win deals because of, you know, the, the, the volume of audience that we have. And uh, we, you know, we get really, really involved. You know, Brian, something that interests me about what Marshall began saying about how Animal Capital rose to popularity was that he kind of did a press tour. He did like a press blitz. And mm -hmm. I heard that message from a lot of VCs uh, during Meet Our Fund that there are a lot of great products, but not a lot of great businesses. And a VC firm is a business and mm -hmm. finding customers, getting visibility is a huge component of it. So obviously someone who is the director of strategy for Warner Media, like Marshall, really knew that he had to kind of get in front of people's eyes and he did that through a news blitz he, he knows that value especially when you're talking about consumer brands i think yep. it really speaks to that uh, consumer uh, consumer startups are incredibly difficult i mean all startups mm -hmm. are difficult but you know launching a new product for a consumer audience uh, especially a gen z audience is very difficult and uh, it's he's clearly picked picked a place where he has a lot of knowledge and it's hard to argue that you know gen z is an up-and-coming growing uh 
member of the workforce right now. They're they're here. Uh, they're only becoming a bigger part of you know the 20, 30 something, uh, coming 30 somethings uh, in the workplace who are going to be buying a lot of things, and they have very different preferences than from uh, generations that preceded them. And his yeah. fund leverages a ton of celebrity power, which is very they important. They do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do. It's, it's a simple, he knows about the marketing end of that and he knows how to reach those audiences, which is a huge value add if you're talking about one of those uh, startups coming into that porf one into that portfolio, right? Well, let's talk about Lolita Taub really quick. I, yeah. Lolita Taub came on and she's she's from uh, uh, Ghana's Ventures, she's a general partner there. Um, let's play her a clip about building and getting into the VC space. And the last one um, is LATAM. I'm actually calling from uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is a great place to talk about Web3 if anybody wants to talk about that. Some other point. Um, but LATAM is a great um, emerging market. Uh, in the last five years, seen from a couple to over 40 unicorns be born. It is ripe and ready to to be invested in and there has been some money flowing in this direction but there's so much more opportunity and so i'm spending actually a year living in the in different countries mexico argentina chile colombia brazil peru ecuador building community and and looking for deals and in fact our first two deals are from latin america so lolita's fund is named after a saying that her dad would tell her and chale ganas, give it all you got. And she really does. Man, Lolita is boots on the ground. She's in Latin America right now. Um, and she is finding communities and sourcing deals. So cool. That was an amazing story to hear. And it, it, she she really speaks more than anybody else, I think, that we heard from about the value and necessity of going network first, building your network, finding mm -hmm. your, your allies, and building, you know, the people you're going to be working with and networking with to reach, you know, your your deal flow needs and understanding the space. Uh, she she has a she has a wonderful story and she was a great great speaker to listen to. Community was a huge theme across mm -hmm. practically all 20 VCs that we heard from mm -hmm. during meetup. Can't fund. do without community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's move to Zeka Len. Uh, she's a uh. general partner. Yes, Zeka is amazing. I was so excited to hear him speak yeah. because he has been in the sustainability world for over 20 years. He mm -hmm. has a background as an environmental economist and data scientist, data engineer, um, tons of success in uh, angel investing and now in Responsibly Ventures, which he is GP at. So let's hear him speak. We, this, this question is impact concessionary always comes back. I want to go back to my own angel performance. Okay. So I, I hit top 1% of US venture capital in 40 plus investments. And all of those have sustainability and social good, um, multiple SDGs per deal. So they're all Amazing. impact focused. And the, the, the funny thing of it is, is that maybe 60, 70% of impact focused companies may or may not really work well with venture capital. But for the 5, 10, 15%, Currently, I'd like my goal as this person responsibly ventures general partner over the next 20 plus years, I would like to see that 50% of companies that have an impact focus get funded by venture capital. So a little bit is informational and it's also just hopeful. So, but I'd mm -hmm. say that maybe only 15 or 20% have attributes of impact that are differentiated, that are scalable and can lead to higher than higher than average, well, actually outlier returns based on the similar mm -hmm. uh, stage of capital. So long story there is if you, if venture capital is the direction you want to go, I would encourage you to get to know as much as you can about it 
and understand exactly what the limitations of it are and also right. what the outlier effects are if you do steer toward it. And that's, I wish I had more bandwidth. I try. <laughs> so I think that this is a really important point when it comes to impact investing. It is not concessionary, especially mm -hmm. from Zeka's perspective. He is like, we will get those top returns even in comparison to non-impact funds. And I think mm -hmm. that's a great perspective to take for an impact fund. You have to have it. And it's it's going to be how we solve these problems, honestly. It's going to be how you create the the you know, ally relationships mm -hmm. uh, and the, uh, the long-term infrastructure that it takes to be able to move the needle on stuff that will yep. result in real meaningful sustainability changes in the long term, I think. I, I do believe that, uh, yeah, that he was really great to hear from. Yeah. If anyone wants to learn more about the investing side of uh, saving the planet, just find Zeka online. He has so much um, educational content out there. Mm, great. Yeah. Uh, sp speaking of the planet, uh, we also had Jonathan Lacoste, <laughs> uh, general partner at space.vc. Uh, so Jonathan was on to talk about uh, his interest in space, which is a crazy thing. I always hear about space and I'm just, I, I, I really marvel at the people who are willing to put money behind this and take these because these are big bets. Uh, let's, let's yeah, big money. Yeah. yeah. So for the average person, you might think that the opportunity in space is really hedged around space tourism or rocket launch or going to Mars or asteroid mining or something like that that you see in the headlines nine out of 10 times. But as I dig in and did research on a passion that had been, you know, something that I hadn't been able to spend a lot of time until I exited my company, um, I was flabbergasted at the opportunity in space and wanted to build a venture capital firm that took advantage of that. So Space VC is an early tech, uh, early stage deep tech firm. We invest in software, infrastructure, information technology, and climate technologies that are at the intersection of space. And one of the reasons we did that was also a timing component. So when I talk to founders, you know, I'm always asking them, you know, what does your product do? What problem are you solving? But why does a company like yours need to exist now? Similarly for venture, why, do, why does your venture capital firm need to exist now? What opportunity are you taking advantage of? And for us, one of the things we're really excited about is there will be more advancement in our commercial space industry in the next five to 10 years than all of human history combined. Yeah, not just lots of money, but really long-term horizons and unpredictable long-term horizons in a lot of cases. I, I love hearing that optimism and him talking about the five to 10 year horizon where he thinks uh, that more work will be done uh, than we've seen in the advancement throughout all of commercial space travel in human history, which is an amazing, amazingly bold statement to make. Uh, it, but, you know, if justified, completely explains his perspective and his his thesis behind his investment there. Because uh, space, space is very, it's strange, right? So you have other companies like, you know, SpaceX is the most notable one, but you know, it's mm -hmm. not just about transporting things on rockets, which space, SpaceX has you know, made its priority in the near term, but mm -hmm. all of the communications technologies that he's talking about, the things that we use satellites for, satellites are only becoming a bigger and more important part of global infrastructure for uh, this, these environmental tracking needs that he, he brings up, I believe. And then also you know, anything you can imagine from GPS data and from uh, these, these satellite imagery that we're able to get now and apply artificial intelligence to, to understand mm. the world in better ways, more efficiently, uh, better than even a human eyeball sitting up in the space station could, could possibly create. Uh, th that was a great talk to hear. 
And I recommend going back to it on the on our YouTube replay of the event for anybody listening. Yeah, very curious to see how Space VC pans out. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move to Tatiana Mulry. Uh, I know Tatiana is one you really loved hearing from Stephanie. Maybe yeah. She was so cool because she was VP at MasterCard from 97 to 2007 and led the creation of mobile tap to pay technology back when back when mm-hmm. mobile meant Blackberries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, this is who I want to ask about uh, crypto predictions. So let's hear what she mm-hmm. said. So I'm a, a, a realist and that nothing okay. goes to the moon forever. And I also know that, you know, just based on my relationships and the discussions I have in this industry that there's a lot of attention. So what I'm most interested in is the bridge technology between um, traditional payment rails and cryptocurrency. I've worked on some projects in that area. And, um, and I know that there will be, you know, picks and shovels in this area that are very interesting, but I, I don't believe that the traditional payment system is going away anytime soon. And so, um, it's really about how does all of this get more accessible and smoothed out and we can move things more freely and have more options in the payment system. And that's so where I bridges come in. It's a bigger systemic issue than, than like just a, it would be very hard to invest in something that was like specifically a new uh, cryptocurrency, for example. She's a realist. I think this is a great stance to take on the crypto mm-hmm. market. What, what does realist mean to you in the way that she said it there? She said, I'm a realist in that nothing goes to the moon forever. Yeah. So obviously there's great grandiose That should not be a controversial thing to say. It's so funny that it, it can be perceived as being right. you know, outside of the mainstream in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing is up forever and ever and ever. Um, Look at the public so, markets right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. I think... I think that um, there's such grandiose ideas about what crypto could be, and maybe in hundreds of years' time that will be realized. But she is focusing right now, she's bearish, or I'm sorry, she's bullish on um, bridges. Mm -hmm. So that's what she thinks is like a very applicable use case right now in the crypto world, um, kind of turning fiat into crypto, the bridge on, and turning crypto back into fiat, the bridge off. And that's a huge, that's hugely important from a security standpoint too. A lot of the um, crypto security breaches that we've seen have had to do with those on and off ramps. So good thing to focus on. Yeah. I, we already mentioned this earlier in the episode with the news, but I, I think her head's in the right place if she's she's trying to figure out you know which which of these technologies are going to outlast and where the use case is really going to materialize and have staying power. Right? That's right. which is where you have to have your perspective at that point if you're going to be an optimist about this space. Uh, let's go to Sarah Parkins. So tell me about Sarah's presentation. We are going to bring it home today with Sarah because she is part of 11 Tribes Ventures and they have a huge focus on founder wellness. So let's listen to what she had to say. And when you look at the failure rates of startups debated between 70 and 90 percent, when we uncovered some of those reasons, what we found was extraordinary. 65 percent of the reasons why startups are failing are to do with mind, body, spirit and emotional well-being of the founders. Founders lose their focus, they lose their identity that Mark talked about earlier. There's disharmony that comes between teams and even among investors. And at at the strong end of that, founders burn out. And so we said, you know, we need to do something about that. 
I'm glad you tagged this one, Stephanie. This is a phenomenal point to bring up, especially from a VC perspective, to value this and place this atop of your to place wellness atop of your value system. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you heard from her. Yeah, this talk stood out because we are hearing from all of these VCs who are so accomplished. They are superhumans. They are experts in their field. They have a long list of accomplishments before they even got to this VC stage. They are so accomplished. And so this talk on founder wellness really stood out because it was addressing the elephant in the room and bringing mm -hmm. us back to the fact that we are all human beings that maybe overwork and have a hard time keeping our mind, body, spirit, and emotions centered when we are trying to accomplish big things. Um, so yeah, 11 Tribes Ventures is... Um, a VC fund that allots 2% of capital allocation to founder wellness. And they recognize that founder burnout is a huge reason that a lot of startups go under. So great perspective from them. I've never seen more people professionally burnt out than I have been since I started mm. covering tech and watching what early stage founders go through. It is, it is tough. It is rigorous. It's tough to be in any position related to leading a team in a, in a startup where you're figuring out what your horizon looks like on a month to month basis uh, every day. And I, I think this is a really powerful statement that she, she brings to the table about this and the commitment that they make in terms of investing in, 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 you know, mind and body wellness for, for the founders. So great, great to hear from. And this honestly gets to the heart of what we want Meet Our Fund to be about, which is mm. the different value adds that all these VCs try to bring to the table and how they look to differentiate themselves. Cause people don't always appreciate how competitive it is to get into the right deals and get into the deals that you want to get into um, based on your thesis and strategy uh, as a as a VC. But, uh, you know, also be able to, you know, be disciplined about maintaining that focus and see through whether or not you're succeeding in, you know, proving your thesis out through those investments. You know, it's it, part of it's about just making money, but it's about so much more than than actually just increasing your returns. Mm -hmm. Brian, one big takeaway that I just wanted to mention from our Meet sure. Our Fund event is that when it comes to diversity and equity, we have a long way to go in the VC and startup world. But sometimes mm -hmm. we get worn down looking at that huge gap and the negative side of things. And yeah. I just have to say that this event was a moment to focus on the good things that are happening, the positive yeah. you know, advances we are having in terms of diversity and equity in these spaces. Sure. We saw so many incredible mm -hmm. GPs and funds that have this focus. And it was just really encouraging to see the progress that's being made. I agree. Uh, it's nice to hear optimism in this space. And you know, there, there are going to be opportunities on the table. Right? Re recessions, not that we're, we aren't necessarily in the recession, but we're getting close to there. But we are seeing impact from you know a lot of turbulence uh, in the public markets reaching private markets now. And it's going to be really tough for a lot of startups uh, and at the same time, we're going to see opportunities for, for companies to prove themselves and succeed despite these worse, these, these bad circumstances, right? So that's going to create opportunities for VCs to get in there and be a part of that, that growth story for those companies. Yep. So if you're a startup founder, go check out all the amazing VCs that are featured on Meet Our Fund and get yourself funded one way or another. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thanks, Stephanie. So that we we uh, we we decided to go deep on the meet our fun stories this week, and thanks for for listening to those. And I hope all of you will find the uh, 
the replay of the event on inside.com. You can find it on our YouTube account as soon as it's up uh, at the end of this week. Uh, so please enjoy. Let us know what you thought. You can also find all the conversations that took place right on inside.com on the Meet Our yeah. Fund page, which was a great thing we were able to do this week. It's the first big event that we've been able to fully pull into the inside experience that we've created through the reboot of the website and uh, which is a social news website for everybody who has not been there lately please go check out inside.com uh thanks for listening to stephanie uh, this is stephanie zelinski i'm brian warmoth uh next week we may have landon back in the seat for episode 12. <laughs> stay tuned and we'll find out um anyway you can please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform give us a five-star rating if your heart desires leave a comment leave a review um, or on apple Podcasts, spotify and wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts We'll see you next Friday. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>